listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. Let me uh, tell you about an unexpected encounter and uh, conversation I had a couple of months ago. I was flying from Washington, Reagan, uh, to Orlando, Florida to teach a seminary course down there. And um, I had the opportunity, because I have some, had some frequent flyer miles, to, to spend some of those miles and upgrade my seat uh, to first class. And now there are some people, when they fly, who are very conversational. You know, they, they like to say hi to the person sitting next to them, the people in their row, and strike up a conversation. Well, well that's not me. <laughs> I got my headphones on before I get in my seat. And I don't mean little old earbuds or AirPods. I mean the ones that cover your ear. I am delivering a message on my way to my chair. I'm going to listen to some music. I'm going to read uh, a book. I'm going to watch uh, a, a movie that I've downloaded. Uh, whatever it is, I might not even have anything going on. I still got the earphones on my head. And for some reason, I thought to myself, you know, first class is going to be nice. You know, nobody in first class is going to want to talk to anybody, so I'm going to be good to go, right? Well, of course, you know what happened. Sat down in my chair, and the gentleman in the seat next to me reached out his hand, and he said, he said, hi, I'm John, introducing himself. And I, I shook his hand, and I said, hi, my name is Erwin. And I thought, okay, this is relatively in innocent, uh, innocuous, no, no big deal. But then, uh, then he said uh, to me, well, what do you do, Erwin? And internally, I'm like, I'm a pastor. And he says, oh, I'm a minister, too. I'm a minister, too. Turns out that John was on this flight, flying back to his home in Orlando, just having uh, left uh, participating in a roundtable meeting of evangelical leaders with President Trump at the White House. And the majority of our flight was him extolling to me the virtues of the president and his policies, especially towards the church. And at the top of his concern was protecting the church in America through policies and, and legislation. And now I'm all for religious liberty. But I attempted to get a word in and press on a particular point, and I said to him, I remember saying to him, I'm not afraid for the church in America based on who is president, because Jesus is the one who promised that he would build his church and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And I said, in fact, the history of the church is one of growing and flourishing, especially under persecution and difficulty. 
He said, well, I'm not so sure about that. Listen, the message in Scripture that God rhythmically beats from beginning to end throughout the pages is that the human condition is one of vulnerability and weakness, that true strength for people doesn't come through their mental or physical fortitude. No, God is the source of all true strength, and we experience it through our absolute and utter dependence on him. And the experience of strength comes through to me most in proximity to God. What stood out to me most in my airplane conversation with John was his utter sense of satisfaction in being in close proximity to the power of the presidency. He said, we have never had access to the president and the White House the way we do now. And that proximity brought with it for, for him a sense of confidence that things would go well legislatively and judicially. And, that, and in the course of our conversation, he was able to be dismissive of the president's moral and, and ethical failings. And now listen, let me make this point. I don't really care what your political persuasion is this morning. You're missing it if you think that's the point that I'm making because whether we are on the left or on the right politically, we are human. And to be human is to prefer to be situated in proximity to power as if the blessings are, are found in being in positions of worldly strength and not in being weak and vulnerable. One of the themes that runs through this passage that we read this morning is the power of God. But it's the power of God on display at the margins. It's the power of God on display at the margins where Mary is. And I want to share these three things with you from this passage. I want to talk about grace at the margins. Grace at the margins, glory at the margins, and gratitude from the margins. Grace at the margins, a glory at the margins, and gratitude from the margins. Why, why is this story even here? Why do we get to talk about Madonna and the margins this morning? The, the gospel writers do not give us every detail about the facets of Jesus' life and story. In fact, it is only Matthew and, and Luke who tell us about Jesus' birth. Mark and John leave those accounts out altogether and completely. Here's the thing. Luke tells us at the beginning of his book, his reason for every detail that he's including. He writes to Theophilus, he says in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he says, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you that you may have certainty. Somebody say certainty. certainty. That you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught I want you to understand this morning that this is here so that you and I can have certainty about the way that the grace of God reached down and continues to reach down into the margins with saving power to lift high the lowly. And this is our first point, grace at the margins. 
Luke tells us about a young virgin girl, a teenager named Mary, who lived in a nowhere city named Nazareth. Nazareth was the opposite of Washington, D.C. Nobody's trying to move to Nazareth. It's about as far as you can get from the center of power and influence and industry. Matter of fact, the common attitude about Nazareth is given to us in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, by Nathaniel, uh, when Philip finds Nathaniel and says, we found the one Moses and the law and the prophets were talking about, Jesus of Nazareth, and Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's what people thought about Nazareth. And that's where Mary lived, a young woman at the margins, in a city at the margins of society. As Phil Riken writes in his commentary on this passage, it is doubtful whether Gabriel could have found a more unlikely person to greet anywhere in Israel. Mary was among the lowliest of the low. She was a poor, uneducated peasant girl living in a small country town far from the center of power. Mary was also a female in a culture that discounted women. From a merely human perspective, she was totally insignificant. And yet, it is to her that God sends the angel Gabriel, and Gabriel says to her in verse 28, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you, and Mary is shaken to her core. She is deeply troubled. She's afraid, and she's trying to figure out what's happening here. And then Gabriel says to her in verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. The verb in verse 28 and the noun in verse number 30 that's translated as favor is the same word for grace. Oh, favored one. That's in the passive voice. To be a favored one is to be a recipient of God's grace. To have found favor with God is to be a recipient of God's grace. The grace of God has found her at the margins. And it's not as though there's some special piety or some special holiness that, that's at the margins that makes her somehow deserving of grace because the grace of God is always, always something that is undeserved and unmerited. A recent article titled Protestants Need to Talk About Mary More, Wheaton College professor Amy Peeler writes, the fact that God became incarnate through a woman shapes all of Christian theology. I would modify it a bit to say the fact that God became incarnate through this woman shapes all of Christian theology. Here's the deal. God always, always, always sees those who are at the margins. He always sees particularly with eyes of compassion, those who are at the margins, and his seeing is always connected to his acting. His seeing is always connected to his doing. We will get to this in a minute, but this is what Mary says in her song of praise in verse 48. He has looked upon the low estate of his servant, and his looking, she says, leads to his doing. She says in verse 49, the Almighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. You see, this presses us. It presses us because 
unless you find yourself at the margins, unless you find yourself at the margins, lacking resources, unable to pay bills, unable to afford health care, unable to live securely in your home, desperately seeking a better life somewhere else, and so you become a migrant, unless you find yourself physically or materially or emotionally at the margins, you and I are prone to not really see the margins at all. And God's selecting Mary and bestowing his grace upon her reminds us that he always sees at the margins. And if we are to be his people, we have to see at the margins too like he does. Brian Stevenson of the Equal Justice Initiative says in his book Just Mercy that his work with incarcerated people on death row uh, has taught him something. He says, uh, as he describes it, all of these people, these individuals come from impoverished and marginalized contexts. And he says he's learned that the opposite of poverty is not wealth. He says the opposite of poverty is justice. What people at the margins are regularly excluded from is the experience of justice in this life. And if we're not on the margins, we're often blind to it, but God is never blind to it. And secondly, here's our next point. We see God's glory at the margins. We get two unexpected and incredible declarations from Gabriel. Not only is God's grace showing up at the margins, his glory is coming to and through the margins. Do not fear, Mary says, uh, Gabriel says to Mary, for you have found favor with God. And then he says in verses 31 to 33, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Hundreds of years prior to this, the prophet Isaiah has said that a child would be born, that a son would be given, upon whose shoulders the government would rest. He would be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There would be no end to the uh, expansion of his kingdom on the throne of David. He would establish and uphold his rule with justice and righteousness forever. And Gabriel said, to Mary, this is the son that is coming into the world through you. The glory of God in Jesus the king was not coming through the queen in the palace. He was coming into the world through this precious young woman, Mary, of no social consequence, living at the margins. Why? Why? Why not in the palace? Why come to this, through this young woman who lives at the margins because that's where we all live. That's where we all live. Can I tell you this this morning? It don't matter how much money you have. 
It doesn't matter how good your health is. It doesn't matter how much physically strong and capable you are. It doesn't matter what your level of education is. God knew and God knows that the human condition is not only one that is weak and vulnerable, it is one that is thoroughly beset with, permeated through and through with sin and rebellion against God. And so with respect to God, the human condition is a condition of life at the margins. Of life at the margins without any hope unless God gave it to us himself. Unless God did something about it himself. Quote from Phil Reichen again when he says, to rescue us from our sins and lift us to glory, Jesus first had to enter into the misery of our lost and fallen condition. God's grace is for the lowliest of the low. And guess what? That's us. Do you remember what Jesus says when he is asked in the Gospels why he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners in Luke chapter 5 verses 31 to 32, Jesus answers their question this way. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is why Jesus comes in through the margins, the glory of God veiled in human flesh, born from a poor woman from a nowhere town. It's because we are all desperately in the camp of the sick, needing a physician. And the Apostle Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. He says to them, for you know the grace of God. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. The glory of God showing up at the margins. And when Mary hears this message from Gabriel, the fear is gone, but it is replaced by confusion. How is this going to happen? What are you saying? I'm a virgin. She's betrothed to Joseph, but their marriage ceremony hadn't taken place and their union hadn't been consummated. And in his reply, listen, what Gabriel does is he points us to the other aspect of God's glory at the margins in this passage, the power and the presence and the work of God, the Holy Spirit. Says the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit makes the invisible God visible to us in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the one who fully spirit put flesh, created God the Son to our humanity. The Holy Spirit put flesh on God for us. The powerful work of the Spirit to bring Jesus into being in Mary's womb declares to us that our flesh matters to God. Let me tell you what I mean. 
There's an Old Testament allusion here in Gabriel's words when he says the power of the Most High. When he says to Mary, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, in that in, in the Septuagint in Exodus chapter 40 and verse 35, uh, 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 the, the Septuagint uses that same word when Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the clouds settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The Septuagint says that the cloud overshadowed the, the tent and the glory of the Lord filled it. The presence of the Lord in the person of the Holy Spirit overshadowing the tabernacle to dwell with his people was just a foretaste in Exodus. Now the glory of God overshadows Mary at the margins to declare that God's presence with humanity was permanent. Jesus' conception was miraculous, but his gestation was normal. The Spirit gave him a body. The Spirit gave him a body like ours to secure our future with God through faith in his name. As Professor Michael Horton put it recently, because Jesus has a body materially and ecclesially, we still have a future. God in the flesh tells us that our flesh matters to God. God is not simply after some disembodied spiritual life for humanity that does not have an impact on the physical aspect of our lives and the lives of our neighbors. What do you think about the Holy Spirit? You think he's only concerned with the, Im the immaterial, ethereal things? You, you think he's only uh, 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 concerned about, about speaking in tongues and other things like that? No. The second verse of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, tells us that at the creation, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit was active in the creation of the physical world. The Spirit gave the Son of God a body. How does he do it? What does this overshadow? shadowing look like? What does it feel like? It is a mystery that we are not called to understand. We are called simply to believe and rejoice. We're called to believe and rejoice in what Gabriel says to Mary in verse number 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. It's like what John Calvin says about the mystery of the Lord's Supper he says, I'd rather adore the mystery than understand it. I'd rather adore it than understand it. The Holy Spirit is the giver of life. He's the giver of physical life, and therefore matter matters to God. Mary responds to the beautiful mystery that she'll give birth to the Messiah with a song of gratitude and praise from the margins. She visits her older relative, Elizabeth, in the sixth month uh, uh, of her pregnancy, and the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy at the presence of the baby in Mary's womb, and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, pronounces a blessing on Mary, and Mary sings a song for the ages that will live forever. She declares in her song of gratitude that God is perfect. He is perfect in his care. He is perfect 
perfect in his power. He is perfect in his mercy. He is perfect in his holiness and his justice and his faithfulness. And her gratitude, watch this, is not simply about her personal experience. She is realizing and rejoicing over the fact that the Lord is doing not only this for her, but for the whole world through her child, the Lord Jesus. She says he's perfect in his care. She declares, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked upon my humble estate, the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She says he's looked upon my low, my humble estate. He's seen me at the margins, and that looking is a loving look. But she says it's not just for me because she sings in verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. The same word, he's looked on my low estate and he's exalts those of, of humble estate just like he did for me. What my Savior has done for me, she sings, is a picture of his plan through the Messiah to exalt the humble and the lowly. He's perfect in his power. She says, he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy in his, is his name. And the declaration of his power is about his ability to execute his justice. The mighty one is at work on her behalf, but not only for her because she sings in verses 51. Uh, he has shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he's sent away empty. The power of God is so infinite that he can cause her to conceive without having her having any relation with a man. And then she remembers how he's shown his mighty arm in the past on behalf of his people as a way of declaring what he is going to do through his Messiah. And Mary rejoices because she sees God is a just God. While it might seem that those who are arrogant and, and haughty and proud and rich as a result have no worries, get away with oppression and live patiently free God is strong enough to execute justice in his own time and his own way lastly he's perfect in his mercy and his faithfulness his mercy she sings is from generation to generation for those who fear him he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring to forever. The one thing that those who fear the Lord can know for sure is that God's mercy is for them. Notice that his mercy is from generation to generation for those who fear him. She's praising God for his ongoing mercy. It wasn't just that the generations before her could count on God's mercy. The perfection of God's mercy is that it never runs out because he's faithful to keep his promises. He never forgets. This is how God is, Mary sings for us. 
He always exalts the humble and resists the proud. He always lifts the lowly and brings down the lofty. He does this by the power of the Spirit through the Lord Jesus Christ. He works like this with individuals. He works like this with churches. He works like this with organizations and institutions. He works like this with nations. It is, is it any wonder that Jesus says and gives this invitation in the Gospel of Matthew? He says, take my yoke upon you and learn uh, from me. Why? Because I am gentle and lowly in heart. Is it any wonder that the Apostle Paul, when he's explaining the gospel to the Corinthians, says to them, God chose what's foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what's weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, the things that are not to bring to nothing, the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Let me close with this other quote from Amy Peeler's article. Here's what she writes. She says, like a multifaceted jewel, at times the Magnificat comforts us when we feel downtrodden. At others, it calls us to champion the oppressed. When conversations about race and poverty are politicized and fraught, the Magnificat is our centering tether. And when we are tempted to become self-righteous in the idea that we are on the right side of history, it challenges us to ask in what ways we are the mighty, the full, and the rich who need to be toppled. See, Gabriel's announcement to Mary and Mary's response of praise is about the coming of King Jesus to establish his kingdom and his reign. And as one writer put it, the coming of the kingdom of God brings the ordinary life of mankind in line with the will of God. That is, it brings people and the things that people do and the institutions that people inhabit in line with the will of God. And so we are always, always confronted with the questions, where is he calling us to repent of our striving to be in line with the proud whom he resists? Where is he calling us to repent uh, of our desire and our striving and our missing the margins whom God always sees? And how is he calling us as agents of his kingdom to demonstrate our complete dependence on him, living by grace for his glory with all gratitude, especially at the margins. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.